Well, good morning. I'm Julie Coleman. I'm part of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. And this morning, we are going to start a new series. Um, it's called The Marks of Maturity. And we'll, you'll see a lot of the teaching team up here in the next few weeks uh, working to show us some of the marks of maturity. Well, some of you might know me well enough to know that I am a very task-oriented person. I like lists of things to do, and I like checking them off when I do them. Um, so when I left to my teaching school, which was comprised of a lot of checklists, um, I went to seminary, but I was going for an accomplishment. I was going to write books. And I was very determined to do that. And the Lord did graciously, somehow, allow me to get published in 2013. But since then, not too many checks have been added to that list. Uh, since my big publishing debut, I haven't written even one more book. Now, I've started a lot of books. My husband will attest to that. He's always saying, which one are you working on now? Uh, but in fact, I write all the time. But so far, um, finishing something and getting it out there for the public to read has been like hitting my head against a brick wall. And that lack of accomplishment for me is super frustrating. Have you ever felt that way? You know, living the rat race, but the race is more like a treadmill or a hamster wheel than it is uh, defined with a starting and finish line. You're working hard, but not really feeling like you're in a, uh, that you're doing anything, making progress, but rather you're in a holding pattern. Sometimes it's hard to keep a sense of purpose in our lives as life drones on. And that also goes for our corporate um, identity here at New Hope Chapel. We have our occasional exciting moments, we do, but most of the time it's business as usual around here. And we do wonder from time to time, will we ever grow bigger? Seems like we gain some, we lose some, we're just kind of staying about the same. Will we ever be a bigger presence in the community like our hearts desire or do anything that's going to put us on the map? Well, while we may struggle with feeling purposeful or not feeling purposeful, God does not. He has very specific plans for us as individuals as well as for a church. And Paul wrote about that purpose in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be working through Ephesians 4, 7 to 16 this morning. I'll have it up there, but please open it if you have your Bibles because it'll help you um, refer to things as we go along. Just to give you a general context of what we're about to read, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus which was comprised of Jews and Gentiles. And now the two groups had joined into one um, through their faith in Jesus Christ. So no longer are they Jews and Gentiles. Instead, they're a unified body. And he tells them this, you are one body in one spirit, one hope of your calling, and one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Could he get any clearer? One body. But now, after doing all that with all this in the first few chapters of Ephesians, now, in this section, he addresses the Ephesians not as a body, but as individuals. So let's read this um, and, and see what he has to say. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain 
to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's pray that God will bless his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being present with us. We thank you that you care very deeply about each of us and you have a purpose for us all, both individually and as a corporate body. And I just ask, Lord, that as I go through this passage with people that you would just get me out of the way and let the truth of your word just ring through because I know that that's what will transform us. And so we just ask your blessing on our time together with your Holy Spirit. Please lead and guide. In Jesus' name, amen. But to each one, grace was given in the form of spiritual gifts for one purpose, the building up of the body. And you know those gifts that he mentioned? It's a list. There's four lists of the spiritual gifts, but this list is very specific. Uh, it's a list of the spiritual gifts throughout Scripture in the New Testament. Um, but this is these all the gifts that we talked about before are gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. They're all gifts that deliver information to people. And that content of that information will be used by God, Paul says, to equip to equip the saints. So in what ways are we being equipped? Well, the next three phrases tell us until we all attain to the unity of Christ and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So the grammar guides us here. I noticed that there were three prepositional phrases that modify the original phrase, and all of them began with the letter to. You think Paul did that by accident? Nope. So what we're going to do is look at each of these twos separately and then get a whole picture. So we're, he, God is equipping the saints through the people and their gifts until we all attain what? The first one is to the unity of the faith and then of the knowledge of the Son of God. So in order to be in tune with each other, to be of the same mind, be on the same page, to have unity like he's talking about, we have to look outside of ourselves. We have to look at the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Just like an orchestra will tune to one single instrument. That's what happens. Um, and they, from the strings to the brass to the woodwinds, they're all tuning to one single pitch. Now, if they tune just to themselves, which they could do, but when they all got together, it would be toneless, dissonant noise. But when it turned tuned to a pitch outside of them all, and they're all looking to that one pitch, together there's a beautiful harmony of sound. Well, that's what Paul's talking about for the Ephesians. You need to be tuned to something outside of yourselves. You need to be tuned to Jesus Christ. Every individual must focus on the one that we've believed in who saved us and continues to keep us through grace. You know, the word usually expressed to um, used 
um, in Greek to express the idea of knowledge is gnosis. You've probably heard that word before. It's an abstract understanding of something, and it comes through personal experience with a thing. You know stuff because you've had personal experience with it. But Paul uses an even stronger word than gnosis. He uses the word epigenosis. Uh, it takes that experiential knowledge a step further. And if the thing becomes uh, so known to you as to cause a profound change in someone who knows it. So it's a full knowledge. That epa is kind of a circular, all-inclusive kind of a word. Our personal relationship with Christ is our first step to being equipped. Now, we trusted in his grace to even start a relationship, and that relationship profoundly changed us. We're no longer who we were. We were given a new nature, Paul tells us, a new potential, a new ability to know God and to understand spiritual things. We were given the Holy Spirit to live within us, to guide us and to teach us. But that all is just a start. Paul wants that understanding of Christ to deepen and to make us mature. And here we come to the second two. We are equipped to the point of maturity. We are to be equipped to the point of maturity. Some of you might have a Bible that translates that word instead of maturity as perfect. It's the idea of the the word. It's really kind of a combination of these two words, complete, finished, fully grown, mature. Paul gives us a clue as to what makes us mature because he shows us in the next verse what immature looks like. He says this, we are no longer to be children, opposite of mature, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. One of the many books I'm working on is a book on the spiritual counterfeits, Satan, the world, and the flesh. Why do I call them counterfeits? Well, they offer something that really closely resembles the truth that God has given us, but it's perverted just enough to be absolutely worthless. So I call them counterfeits. And they're very sneaky. They make it so close to the truth, it's hard to discern which is truth and which is the counterfeit offer. I've answered the door to many of a Jehovah's Witness or or Mormon, whoever else comes knocking on the door, and um, they are so good at making you feel like, hey, we agree, right? Isn't it true? That's deceitful because we don't agree. So quickly, what I say is I'm happy to talk to you, but I only want to talk about one thing. I want to talk about Jesus Christ. And if we stray from that, the conversation's over. He's the only thing I want to talk about. And that keeps the deception down to a minimum. But that goes awry pretty fast too. But anyway... (laughs) Even Satan quoted scripture when he was tempting Jesus to sin. So the counterfeit is very close to the truth. Um, I'm reading a book right now uh, called The Organic God. I haven't finished it, so I can't recommend it, but I really like the first chapter. Uh, The author's name is Margaret Feinberg, and she tells about a very interesting aspect of her childhood. She says, As a child, my father went into the jewelry business as a side business, I grew up sorting through bags full of various semi-precious stones, including amethysts, rubies, sapphires, and emeralds, 
Loose diamonds were stored individually in small white wrappers that were carefully filed and tagged according to size and quality. I loved looking at those stones. By the time I was in my teens, I had a pretty good eye for recognizing faux jewelry. The ability to find the fakes wasn't something I ever tried to develop or even practiced. My father just kept exposing me to the real treasures. And when she knew the real, she could see the fake. Well, like counterfeit stones, false doctrine is easily discernible when you know the truth. So we need a mature, full understanding of Jesus in order to stand firm in the truth. Okay, so we've entered a relationship with Christ, and our um, experience in walking with him has drawn us into maturity by learning important truth. Now Paul gives one final description of an adequate equipping. It has to be fully complete. He says, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we're supposed to be like Christ to his measure, his standard, right? Um, We will be like him, bearing his reflection. So when the world looks at us, they are getting a glimpse of the Savior. Romans 8.29 tells us that's God's purpose. It says, those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Well, Paul really cared about these three aspects being built up. And as I was working all week on Ephesians 4, last night I made a discovery because these words sounded so familiar like I'd heard them somewhere else in Ephesians. So I went back and started looking through Ephesians and I couldn't believe it. There's another, there's a prayer that Paul gives in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19 for the passage we're covering today, just a page away, and it is exactly a match. So I'll show you the two together. He writes in four, until we attain to the unity of the faith. And three says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Then in 4.13, in the knowledge of the Son of God. And he says in three, that, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses Knowledge. See how they match up? 4.13, to a mature man. And in chapter 3, that you may be filled up. And in 4, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And in 3, to all the fullness of God. Don't you love it? I was so excited. I made Steve come and look at it because I was so excited. Okay, so do you think Paul was serious about this? If he mentions it twice in two pages? Um, Yes, he's dead serious about it. And where does the power come from with all this maturity and growth and fullness coming from? Where is it happening? Well, in our passage today, it says in 4.7, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it's Christ's grace, Christ's gift, Christ's power. In 3.16, I pray that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. That's where the power is coming from. It's from Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that's in us. And the result of that power working in us to bring us to fullness, to maturity, to an epigenosis of Jesus Christ, it's that we 
speaking the truth in love as a corporate body, will grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. He's back to talking about the whole body again. He was talking about the individual. He said, but he says when individuals are mature, then they will comprise together a mature body. And that body functions as it's designed to function. We are individual in our gifts and our passions and our life experiences, but working in a corporate body, pooling all of our different gifts together, it makes us stronger than we would be individually. You know, it's like a pile of gears and springs when assembled by a master watchmaker. That becomes a functioning, useful watch unit, which makes accurate time. Aristotle wrote, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And that surely is true. When we come together as a church, unified in Christ, fully reflecting Jesus, we transform from a bunch of diverse people with assorted gifts, perspectives, life's experiences, into a well-oiled machine. And God will use us as a body to reveal himself to the world. Okay, so what? How does this scripture and what Paul taught give us a greater purpose in the ordinary days of our lives? Well, as I said in the beginning, while we may struggle with feeling purpose in the drudgery of life, God does not. He purposely is working in us throughout each of our days, deepening our relationship, our knowledge of him, and conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And knowing that fact will enable us to trust him for what we don't understand. Many of you are parents out there. Steve and I are. We raised four children of our own. And when they're small, they're cute, but they're trouble. (laughs) And you really have no idea at some points if they're even going to turn out right. Steve and I used to lay in bed, and I'm not kidding you, this is a true story. We used to lay in bed at night and say, okay, there's four of them. Surely one will turn out okay. You got her. She can only say that because Joseph isn't here. But one thing we decided early on in all the challenges of those toddler years is that we were not raising children. We were raising adults. We always kept the big picture in mind and we were willing to endure the pain of what we were going through and the pain of correcting it uh, in light of the bigger goal. So when we told them something to do, we followed through on it. We stuck to our guns, even if the easier thing was just to let the whole thing slide because we knew that they needed to learn respectful obedience when they were little Um, because while they're little we still had physical superiority over them. Once they were a teenager, all bets were off. So we taught it to them when they were young. And we knew as adults they were going to need to be respectful of people in authority, like a teacher or a boss or supervisor. We had that same big picture in mind when it came to having a good work ethic. We taught it to them young, probably not as much as we should have, but we always had that goal in mind of them becoming productive adults. And, most importantly, to our children, we modeled love. 
We modeled how to give it. We modeled how to receive it. Why? To enable them to have healthy relationships as adults and so on. Much of what parents do, they do with an eye to the future. Isn't it true? Now, at that moment, in the training, all the kids see is pain. One time, Joseph was a little boy, and he was laying on the couch watching cartoons, and everybody else was doing chores in the house. So Steve went over to him and said, Joseph, you need to help. You're part of this family. Everyone needs to help and chip in. And Joseph said, well, I don't want to. I want to watch cartoons. And Steve said, well, I would like to be laying on the couch watching TV, but I'm doing this because I care about this family. And he said, but Dad, you like that stuff. (laughs) And Steve came and said, well, I guess I'm being a little too positive about doing chores, giving him the wrong impression. (laughs) They see the pain. They see the sitting in timeout, missing a favorite activity show, whatever it takes to discipline them. But as a parent, you know the bigger picture. So you do what it takes to raise an adult, right? Because in order to function correctly in life, these things must be learned. Well, in many of the same ways, God is raising up mature Christians. He doesn't waste a thing. Now, we may only see the pain, the inconvenience, the stress. But our Heavenly Father, he knows what he's doing. And he will continue to mature us. Why? Because he's good. And ultimately, he will conform us to the fullness of Jesus Christ. Paul promises it in Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. God will finish what he's already started in all of us. God sees what we can't. And knowing that we are being moved toward maturity, it will help our perspective when we don't understand how the pain of the movement, of the moment, has to do with anything. So I found this great quote by Elizabeth Elliot on this idea. This is what she says. Think of the self God has given as an acorn. It's a marvelous little thing, a perfect shape, perfectly designed for its purpose, perfectly functional. Think of the grand glory of an oak tree. God's intention when he made the acorn was the oak tree. His intention for us is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Many deaths go into our reaching that measure, many letting goes. When you look at the oak tree, you don't feel that the loss of the acorn is a very great loss. The more you perceive God's purpose in your life, the less terrible the losses seem. It takes a long time for an oak tree to grow. Uh, I've looked it up online. depends on the variety of oak, but they grow about two feet a year. So becoming a mature tree doesn't get measured in days, weeks, even months, or Years. You have to think in terms of decades with a tree. Life plods along, but you're not spinning your wheels. God is moving you forward. Same with our lives. In order to feel a sense of purpose in the drudgery, we need a vision. We need a vision for the future, for what God is doing in us, a vision of what eventually he will make us, what we will eventually be. Because where there's no vision the people perish. So, 
in the following weeks, and I think there's nine sessions total of this series, we're going to look at what a mature oak might look like. We're not looking at the acorns, we're not looking at the saplings, but we're looking at the mature tree, the end goal. And so uh, by studying where God is taking us, we'll get a picture of what maturity looks like. Understanding where we're headed will make all of our days and interactions suddenly seem important because we'll see them as serving a purpose. Catching a vision for where God is taking us will make the journey make sense, both as individuals and corporately as a church. So we need to see the big picture. We need to know that we someday will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and he will be glorified, perfectly reflected in us. And that will be worth it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for letting us know what you're doing, (laughs) that you are bringing us very carefully into maturity. We see all the ways that you're doing it through this passage in Scripture, and we ask, God, that you would grant us patience and the ability to trust you um, through the times when the upbringing is painful and maturity may seem far off when we look at our discouraging failure. But yet, God, you are reigning through it all. You will accomplish your purpose. You will complete it. We thank you, Lord, for that. And we just ask, Lord, that we be ever mindful of your work in us as we go through our days. We just ask your blessing on this series, Lord, and ask for all that are going to be involved that you would just help us all to get a wonderful picture of the maturity that you are working us toward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.